0: Hey guys, welcome to WWJT episode 15. This is a unique episode because it's not just an expert, but it's also a friend. We've interviewed experts before like DGC's Wyatt Graham and uh, Jason Thacker and Ruth Cuthbert. And we've interviewed some friends of mine who works in, work in tech like Scott and David Deepwell and, and Hayden. And so um, this one is a friend of mine who's also an expert. James Kelly, he's the founder and CEO of Faith Tech, and he's got a cool story and we jumped into a whole bunch of different topics. So I hope you enjoy listening. The audio quality, not as good on this one because I screwed it up trying to figure it out how to do it in person. It gets really funky around the 43 minute mark. So if you make it that far, you'll get to hear the funk. Um, And I really hope you enjoy the episode.
1: Well, thanks, Andrew. Looking forward to this, man. It's fun. Well, thanks for, for
0: joining, James. Uh, welcome to WWJT, What Would Jesus type We're trying to figure out what Jesus would do if he lived today. Um, and this is our first in-person episode, so we got a system in my family room figured out. It's amazing. Um, so you've been here before. Um, We know each other way back when you started Faith Tech and you have this story about starting at a coffee shop and I was one of the people who got this really cryptic invite of, (laughs) there's this thing happening, do you want to come? Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about that from your perspective. Like, were you scared? Like, you're you're going into this thing of this technology Mm -hmm. world and... It's not not I don't you know have... anything about technology. <laughs> well, you you're, you're a user of technology, right, but right. it's
1: not like yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's so cool to be chatting because you were at that first that first meetup, um, which was, I think, so unexpected. I mean, I've told the story of that first meetup thousands of times, you know, yeah. but it actually it like it really was so special to me. You had thirty five ish people that are in this. Coffee shop, you know, and I remember like we were praying like I was literally like, Lord, like 10 to 15. This would be amazing. And all these people that just kept coming in and I'm like, why are you here? And they're like, well, we heard this intersection between like technology and there wasn't the name Faith Tech. I don't think yet. It was just like people that are interested in Jesus and technology and we should really chat with each other. I think it was really significant for me because a few things happened that night that I think really helped me understand this could be something more than just like this one get together. Mm-hmm. Like one of them was, um, there was three guys from a company called Desire to Learn, just down the street from you here. Yeah, and they show up, and I remember two guys look at each other and they're like, "What are you doing here?" And he's like, "Well." What are you doing here? It's like, why follow Jesus? You do. These guys and they worked together. These guys were like two seats down, and that group though, they actually formed a group. They started meeting on a weekly basis. To this day, those guys are still connecting. Wow. To do like, how do we live out our faith at work? And you know, we ended up building different like uh, curriculums to different books, and it was just like such a cool thing that. I couldn't believe that these guys got a chance to meet each other. And then that formed a depth of relationship that's endured for years. So, community you know? building amongst tech people. That's, that's like right. very core to faith tech. Totally. Yeah, totally. And it's working off of this idea of like so many people working in tech feel isolated and alone in their faith, you know? And then there's a second piece to it, which is like, I also feel underutilized with this unique talent that god's given me right like i had one guy summarize it best to me once he goes he's like i go to church and no one understands my work right i speak in a different language i i, I code no one understands that um they think like I'm, if i work at like twitter or i work at you know google or something i'm you know, there's a lot of evil. My preacher keeps like just hammering social media without. Get context. off your phone!
0: Get like, yeah. You're addicted. Right, and
1: then, and buddy's sitting there going, I work at Facebook. Yeah. You know, like what do I do with that? So going to church, no one understands their work, and then going to work, and no one understands their faith. Hmm. Being like, I go to work, and the belief system of the tech industry is hyper counter to the belief system I follow. Right. And so therefore, if I share my faith or I'm open about my faith, it's like a detriment to my work and it's very scary to do so. And therefore, am I the only one that is feeling this way? And then not sharing the faith then doesn't open up the opportunity to find others of faith. Mm -hmm. So then it leads people down the path of like, well, I'm the only believer in my company or in the city working in tech. And the reality is, is like, it's just not true. You know, there's other believers that are trying to wrestle through this stuff, working in this industry. And so, going back to the coffee shop, it was like, wow, people are meeting each other. But instantly, they're like, wow, you feel that the same way, too. And then at the coffee shop, there was, like, pastors, right? And there was, like, ministry leaders running charities, Christian charities. They want to
0: use technology to expand their scope. And understand it, and, like,
1: solve problems, and they're all struggling. Um, I think this is like, to me, when I step back and I'm like, what's God doing through faith tech? Mm-hmm. I think faith tech is part of a bigger movement God's doing in the world, um, where two things have hit at the same time, which is charities, churches are feeling and more than ever pandemic accelerated that of like, we need to understand and utilize, technology for the glory of God. Mm -hmm. How do we do that? How do we understand it? It's complex, but we need to do something. And then believers in tech going, I can do more in PowerPoint to advance the gospel here with this unique talent that is impacting and shaping the world more powerfully than perhaps any other industry. And so what can I do? And how do I do that with others? And then the answer to both of their problems is each other. Like, that's what's so unique about that is like, you're not going to solve your problem as ministry leaders on your own. You're not going to solve your problems as tech people just by getting together on your own and then just talking. If you can actually build too, that's a depth that's going to be beautiful for you. And so when they actually start learning together and building together, it's like, everyone's like, oh man, we're getting all these deep problems we're trying to get solved solved Mm -hmm. by being unified you know, and working together. So.
0: And that's where, within the broader scope of Faith Tech, one thing that I worked with you for a time was Faith Tech Labs, trying to figure that out you know mm-hmm. so i'm meeting at a coffee shop trying to get these people together and not really knowing exactly like we were we would talk about it we'd be like oh maybe we could do this do we want to go like bible study curriculum route do we want to go yeah. like building super early and then we'd get people from the university of waterloo Econom- or or uh, entrepreneurship system do you right. like well this is the way you should build a an ecosystem for entrepreneurship and so you're trying to wrap all this in but i Very vivid for me is one night, not enough people showed up. I'm like, man, we got to advertise more. But I have this guy coming in from Toronto who's with World Vision. He's like trying to figure out problems across the world. He has a list of like 20 problems. And I was hoping there'd be like 10, 20 people and there's like five. You know, it's like, okay, well, let's meet. Let's talk to these five people. And he goes through the list and he's like, oh yeah, the the last thing on the list is water bottles, like massive problem. Water bottles. What are we yeah. going to do with all these water bottles that aren't recycled in these other countries, and they end up stacking? So it'd be great if we could figure out what to do with them. Right. And this engineer is like, "Oh, well, you just turn it into rope." <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was like dumbfounded. The World Vision guy is dumbfounded, but this—it's an engineer who's like, "Well, yeah, obviously, water bottles can be turned into rope," and and this is just this is the the need for these groups and communities to merge yeah. is so that those conversations can happen. And so they end up 3d designing this little thing that world vision now can use yeah. in order to take this little, it's almost like a pencil sharpener, yeah. but not mm-hmm. like it uses a razor blade from a shaver. So that's available all over, but then 3d printed otherwise. And so you, it's just a very cool use of technologies right. to, I guess you'd, you'd classify that somehow because you have this classification, how would you classify that? Is that responsible tech? Is that redemptive Uh, tech?
1: Or exploitative. Yeah, so we took this uh, uh, way of thinking that combined what we've been thinking about for years, came across a great organization called Praxis. They're all about um, helping advance this vision of redemptive entrepreneurs. And we're really closely connected with them. And they have this framework of thinking about the world and business in terms of there's exploitative, Uh, they use exploitative, ethical, and redemptive. Mm -hmm. And then when we look at tech, we think, wow, there's exploitative tech, responsible tech, and redemptive tech. And uh, it's it's asking multiple questions of each. So not just the tool itself that's exploitative, but the methods used, and then the belief set that sits under it. Mm -hmm. So the other framework that goes with it Is like we talk about the beliefs that sit within the tech industry, the methods of how you build a product, and then the actual product itself. And all three of those things can be exploitative, responsible, or redemptive. But the worldview of tech industry goes, the furthest we go is responsible tech, which is like, I win, we win. Exploitative is, I win, you lose. Responsible is, I win, we win. Redemptive is, I sacrifice. We win. It's a whole another way of thinking on what you believe about the yourself and in the tech industry. When it's redemptive, you're like, "Well, I give of myself to my colleagues and my workplace, not so that I gain, but that the end goal is giving of myself," mm-hmm. which you see obviously perfectly exemplified in Jesus Christ, gives of himself entirely. Right. Even in the way you build, right? The methodology you go—if it's exploitative, then all your tactics are so that you get something back. If it's responsible, you are uh, at least thinking about other people, so that you both win, which is still good. Right. But again, that's as far like all those methodologies will go. will end with "I win, we win" for the world. But when you look at a biblical lens, you go, "Okay, you'll actually create a product in a way." that will be uniquely uh, redemptive, so sacrificial, Hmm. and that is challenging. So an example would be in our labs projects, we really encourage our people to take a moment early on in building the product to take a evening of lament. Hmm. And it's literally encouraging our people to stop and say, let's try to understand this problem. Let's see our role in this problem we're trying to solve, because you probably are playing a role in some way. And then let's cry out to God that he helps us feel it and then he changes what's happening. And it's just like this beautiful biblical way of introducing lament into the process of building a product. Hmm. You are now training people to bring a redemptive methodology Hmm. into the process of building. Uh, Another unique thing we do is um, in design thinking, we always ask, like, how might we build this thing? How might we solve this problem? So we encourage our people to go, how might Jesus?
0: What well, would Jesus? What well, would Jesus take? Of course. Yeah. Appreciate, <laughs> appreciate the shout out.
1: <laughs> so what would Jesus? Like, it, it really is like, how might Jesus build this thing? How might mm-hmm. Jesus approach this problem? How might Jesus? And it it does reorient and recontextualize our thinking in how we build a product. And so, yeah, I think like, well, it's a long way to answer that one question, which is like, yeah, you look at these products and some products being built are responsible, which is amazing. Some products are exploitative and we need to reject those things and expose those things. And then we as fintech, Tech want to build as many products as we can that are redemptive, that are, um, you know, helping people know Jesus or meet Jesus or help build things for the church that are like yeah. going to help local churches advance their their calling, their mission. And the last thing to say is the reason, though, like that sounds simple. It's like, oh, that's a cool framework. And then you look at examples like Facebook, and you're like, it's all three. Hmm. You're like, what? They're like, and they have in in multi-layered in both the belief you know, elements of their belief is all three, elements of their um elements of their methodology you could argue include all three elements, especially when you're like, I know believers working there that are seeking yeah. out to do this extraordinarily redemptively, and then what they produce and how they like extract from people, you know, money based off so of it's the data. Exploitive. Psychological it's it's like, well,
0: analysis gets you addicted, they make more money. Right. There's but all then, that stuff going on. And then
1: you go, Oh wow, and then that church just leveraged the technology to bring five people to their building who heard the gospel and they got saved. Oh, well, yeah. You're like
0: the missionaries that we know. Like it's it seems to be a common theme. I heard it with Jake Meter the other day where he was describing stories in Iran. It's like the fastest growing church in the world and it's like so driven by technology. Mm. It's just like because they're able to put ads and have have people click and people are like yeah for the last year i've been having dreams so glad to talk to a christian it's like the technology is allowing this to happen and it's beautiful so clearly facebook can be used for good even on like on a personal level taking care of someone with disabilities taking care of that Mm. the facebook groups are so helpful for me Mm. to connect with other people who are struggling with similar needs and how do you take care of people with this that or the other thing so there's, yeah, it's, it's tough when you, you we so want to just simplify it yeah. and say, this is good or this is bad. Yeah. Even faith tech, it's like, is faith tech pro-technology or anti-technology? <laughs> like, can you answer that? Like.
1: Good question. Uh, yes.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you clearly, there's some tech that's exploitative that you're against and you're trying right. to trying to make us more aware of those exploitative
1: tendencies. I had someone just yesterday ask me a very good question, which um, he said, what are people within faith tech that start learning about the way you're talking? What do they do? Do they all leave their company? Right. Or are they all staying or like, what, what do they do next? You know? And I just said, experientially both are happening where like some people are going, now that I I've learned this and I see more of this, I'm more motivated to stay because God's called me as a missionary to Google. He's called me as a missionary to this tech startup. And if all the believers leave, I'm like, then you're, you're taking away so many of so much of the redemptive opportunity to impact that, you know, it was like when Twitter was public, um back in the day back in the day yeah um paul burns is the managing director was the managing director of twitter Elon in canada let him go is this yeah the case? uh I, I don't know all
0: the details but well and who knows he's <laughs> not there anymore like we post the podcast there's Right. A million other things will change. And Twitter will be like paid only. Right. You know, you got to pay the $8 a month. And then otherwise you're just not on the platform. I don't know what's <laughs> happening. Nobody knows.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm waiting for a tweet from Elon that's like, we have a new name. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like we're lying or something. That's totally different. Anyway, so uh, he's, when he was at Twitter and... Uh, head of Twitter Canada. Head of Twitter Canada, executive... This guy openly and is deeply in love with Jesus, um, becoming a good friend, and he's like genuinely is like, I, missionary. Mm-hmm. That was his like, I'm here, it's super messy. Like the whole Trump thing, he was like engaged in those conversations. He's like, this is really, really messy. But he's like, that's the calling of a believer is to be in the mess. Right. You know, so for him, he was like no, no no i want to stay even when people were like how could you possibly support that hmm. And he's like i just have a different like the way i see the gospels the way i see scripture calls me to a different way and i i love that i deeply love that but i also respect when people hit a moment and they're like there's just so much exploitative elements of the company to which i work for and again usually when they say that it's not just a tool it's also including methodology it's including belief set that, mm-hmm. that it's um, it's scarring their soul to the point where they're like this is taking me so far away from Christ you know it's like that whole missional uh, mentality of like when the whole missional movement really started building up over you know you could say 30 years ago and we were moving almost like this growing movement away from mega church. We're like, no, we need to like go into the pubs mm-hmm. to live out the gospel. Now you have a lot of these leading missiologists who are looking back and being like, it seems like a lot more people became like the pub than converted those in the pub. Right. And it's like, maybe, maybe that didn't work either. You know? And so it's like even reconsidering that. And there's like, some people could go into that pub context with enough accountability and enough support as a team and live out the light of Christ. So if you go in on your own and you're struggling with X, Y, and Z, like an alcohol problem, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, and that's a deep, painful thing in your past and you go into it, there's a high likelihood that's actually not a great context for you. And so translating that analogy over to tech is like, yeah, it's not... Not the right environment. If you realize your company's exploitative, both a combination of belief metho- methodology and tool, then you should get out.
0: Yeah, you gotta be a missionary where you're at, but also use wisdom <clears throat> to question where you're at mm. too. um You know, Paul yeah. got out of chair, jail when he was able to. When <laughs> he's <was> like, <laughs> this is like, it's like, well. Paul, you were doing a great prison ministry there. It's like, well, there's other things that are gonna be good for the kingdom it's too. Good point. So I'm gonna move on. Like like we gotta. Like
1: angel? It. No, I'm good. Uh,
0: yeah, you don't say no to the angel.
1: No, yeah. Open up the door. No. No. no I'm
0: good. <laughs> One thing I'll say, like, in seeing you, like I've been involved with Faith Tech at various points of time. And so I remember there was at least five, six points. Where I'm like, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with Faith Tech. Like, there's so many challenges yeah, yeah. that you've had to go through. Um, you know, pandemic, figuring out, because you had a lot of in-person gatherings that now you, you have restrictions. So you're trying to figure out the online thing. You're, it's like, well, aren't you equipped to do online? It's like, yeah, but you, you had a model that was very in-person. You also just like the ups and downs of some hackathons are better attended than others. Some volunteers are more committed than others and, you know, including myself, I quit after a year of volunteering with you. It's like, well, it was easy to volunteer when I was on that leave, but now that I'm back at a tech company, maybe i <laughs> slow it down. So I'm like, what keeps you going through those difficulties? Mm. Why, why haven't you? Because I think if I were in your position, I would have been like, okay, faith tech was a fun thing for a year or two. Right. But what do you want? Like year four, year five? Six.
1: Six. We're starting year seven right now on S- the seventh year. So, like, what's
0: keeping you going, especially in those mm-hmm. hard moments?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think, like, I think the formative part of doing faith tech has been, like, I, I've realized really in the last, like, six months more than I did even before, is that the technology element for me is really important, but it's like the primary cultural powerful example of what God's called me to do, which is help disciple people in knowing Jesus. And so because my calling is like fundamentally help people, know Jesus for the first time or know him more deeply. That is my calling, right? I look at what God's been forming out of faith tech that feels so much like, uh, like, why on earth am I doing this? Again, you know, it's like starting faith tech is like I'm, I was a user of technology. Yeah. But you were I can't working,
0: code. You had an MDiv. You were right. helping lead a church plant. Yeah.
1: You know, and still to this day, when people find out I can't code, they're like, what? Why can't you code? And I'm like, I really can't like do a lot of technology. Even yesterday, the teams, I had two people around me trying to figure out like this mail merge thing, and I felt like an idiot. Um, but again, that's like the technical side of it. I think there's like a cultural, philosophical, theological side that I'm really passionate about. And so because of that, as Faith Tech's gone, gone on, I've been amazed at um, learning at how both dark technology can be, like extreme loneliness, extreme isolation, um, addiction at a a totally different level than we've ever seen in history, Uh, you know, mass cultural addiction, and it's harming people at rates we've never seen. And like all of this insane stuff when you learn around technology, how dark this rabbit hole goes, um, it's painful to watch. And then on the other side, you know, so that's motivating because you're like, wow, that's such a core like element of, again, if the calling is discipling people to know Jesus, and this is a primary barrier to that journey, we we need to understand it and we need to speak into it and we need to learn about it. And who knows that best? It's like builders that are creating it. right? So like the learning that I've gained from my friends that are working in tech, that understand this at a level that is beyond my understanding, but give me insights. I'm like, that's been so extraordinarily helpful for me to then take a lot of that knowledge and like uh, create this platform of community where people could then start like actually that discipleship journey together, Mm -hmm. you know, to go more deeper in helping us deal with this struggle that so much of the world is dealing with. Right. And so, yeah, I'd say like the, the, the discipleship opportunities. And then I think God is just uniquely, like I'm constantly thinking at scale and that's not like, it doesn't feel like a bad thing. It feels like, wow, God's built me in ways to think like, oh, okay, if it's working here, how can it work in a hundred other cities around the world um, mm-hmm. so it can serve a hundred you know, tens of thousands of it's more people. It's kind of a
0: fun problem to try to solve. Right. Like it's, it's like a, not a Rubik's cube because I find those boring, but right. pick your video game or whatever. Like you, yeah. you have difficult
1: problems to solve. Yeah. Yeah. So I, and so that's been a lot of fun. And there's elements that, like, if I'm honest too, it's just there is a lot. Of, I'm having a lot of fun. Yeah. There's challenges, no doubt. But like, I'm I'm having a lot of fun with this too. And it's just enjoyable. A lot of elements that I are enjoyable.
0: Yeah, I think uh, both you and I have wives that are very. Supportive of what we end up doing with our time, including a podcast like yeah, this, right. to, to have that support is just great, even though it's like this hobby thing on the side for me, right? Um, it's but, like when Fatex
1: started, Karen's like, What is this? What are you doing? <laughs> you know, and she's like, You're taking all these like breakfast meetings and lunch meetings, and you're talking about technology, right? And I'm like, I know, I don't, I don't know what it is, but God's doing something. And so, when she came to that first meetup that okay. we had. And there's all these pictures of that first meetup. And then there's like Karen, my wife, with our son in like the, the Strouding seven, 7 now, yeah. right? And and uh, that's when we got home. And she's like, that was something. She's like, do, do you know what just happened there? I was like, no, not really. But like, God was doing something really interesting.
0: Yeah. So like,
1: and she was just like, all right, can I keep, we got to keep going with that, you know?
0: Yeah, that's that totally helps too. I've, uh, I've been on a similar journey in some ways, seeing just how, like you described, how bad tech is, so to speak, like how, how exploitative the exploitative technologies are, mm-hmm. and you know, it's just, you start to realize, you know, how our culture is shifting. You know, Neil Postman's got his, like, the television is terrible, and you're like, oh, come on, I like the television. But it's like, no, we've shifted from a text-based society to an image-based society, mm-hmm. a society that went from you know digesting arguments and back and forth to like now i heard you talk about like people don't consume speeches very much anymore right like we've uh-huh. lost we've lost rhetoric because we're more image-based mm. um podcasts are one of the few forms that exist still of long long discussion but yeah it's like it's like we're really struggling as a society when it comes to tech and like some people there's an article in the atlantic recently like like is this the end of social media right? Like you got the metaverse is the focus of Elon Musk and everybody admits it's like, this is really weird. Like employees at Meta are questioning it. And you got all these stories of like Facebook's going down, Twitter's going down, everybody's back. I don't think it's going down. We'll see what Musk does. Um, you know, there's a lot of this like pushback, Mm -hmm. Uh, like, do you have a sense working as much as you are of like what the future holds? Like, is there, is there a growing backlash against tech that is rising? Mm. Um, against especially the exploitative types of technology. Mm. Um, I don't know. Can you predict the future, James?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Of course I can. <laughs> Here I go, and the world will end on this No. I'm just kidding. Um, that's a great,, yeah, great thing to think about. Um, yeah, it's interesting to think like I, I thought when a lot of this when I got into faith tech and learned more about this, I actually thought you would start seeing the rise of the no tech church movement, Hmm. which I don't know exists. I mean, it'd be hard to find out. (laughs) Uh, I guess uh, the Amish community, the Mennonite, old Mennonites. Right. Right. Actually, I love, like, there's so much to learn from Mennonite Amish communities because the way they even approach technology is hyper communal in their decision making, which I think is... Deeply missed within our hyper-individualistic society, yeah. where we go, "Well, I'll decide if I get a phone or not. and I'll decide which phone it is for myself." It's like, w- when did that become a good idea? Right. To think that way. So there's there's that community side of decision making, as a as a side note to that that I think we should be adopting as a as a Christian community. Um, but the way forward, I think the challenge with this is you're pushing up against a very deep, uh, cultural addiction. Right. Right. And so like, I do think there's signs of, I do think there's signs right now of people realizing, wow, we've like gone down this path that is leading to our destruction, Mm -hmm. um, in many respects, not all respects, but in some respects where it's like, yeah, Spouses will spend less time together. It's extraordinarily common that before bed, a husband and wife are sitting there and they're on their phone for a half hour. Yeah, And like, that's my favorite time of my day hmm. is just before bed with my wife, just chatting about the day, you know, and like to to imagine that I let technology into my bedroom to disrupt that moment is like, of course we'd be talking about divorce in a year. Because right. we just stole the best time of the day from both our lives. And so I do think there's signs right now where people are, are realizing that that addiction has been pulling us away from each other, from depth of person. This is my big thing of why I question the future of VR and then the metaverse, Right, is because it's all centered around how do we digitize the beauty of human experience Rather like if you actually look at Zuckerberg's address, you can break down that every feature they're introducing is here's what's working face to face. So let's digitize it. Right. Instead of going, it's working face to face. (laughs) Like, that's good. (laughs) Like let's do more of that. And so I think that's gonna be the the ultimate I think fault. And the fact that goggles look like make you look like an idiot kevin kelly said that actually about vr like 10 years ago he's like i don't think it'll work yet because we're way as humans we're so uh sinful in that we care so much about how we look that stupid looking goggles you know unless they progress rapidly away from that it would be a hard thing i think to sell to society but
0: I've totally thought about my cold sore on my lip about 10 times since we <laughs> pressed record. Like it's a, it's a fact that we totally. care too much about how we look. Yeah,
1: totally. Yeah. And so I, uh, and there's signs of this, like, you, you know, this a few years ago, um, I had a moment with my son where I was in the living room on my phone and he's trying to get my attention and he couldn't get my attention. And he literally came up to me. He's like, dad, get off your phone. And I was like, "Wow!" And then I took a digital Sabbath—the hmm. whole day, 24 hours, no digital Wait, technology. That after we said goodbye, <laughs> right, 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 I threw it <laughs> out the window. <laughs> um, yeah, and so I did a, a, a digital Sabbath. It was extremely legalistic. It was like, here's the list: you can use a fridge still. You can use a toaster oven, you cannot use a cell phone, you cannot use a computer, you cannot use a screen. Mm -hmm. And it was a digital Sabbath and it was phenomenal. Like it was so much more time with the family, time reading and reading as a medium, like physically reading versus digital reading has been proven to uh, help you go deeper. Right. Um, And so like that just whole experience and then I did it multiple weeks. I was like, this is, so freeing and so good for me and so then we put a little team together in faith tech and we started to build a website and we called it the digital sabbath challenge mm-hmm. can you go one day a week for one month without digital technology and put a little button on it people can give their email we remind them and all this kind of stuff and uh, we just did this thing as like 70 people doing it and then i remember one mornings a few years ago I log into my email, it was like 700 people signed up. Wow. I was like, I'm like, obviously something happened. So I Google search it. New York Times does an article on this concept of digital Sabbath. Wow. And mentions our little website. Wow. And then you're like, all of a sudden, all these people are signing up. And that article is massive because he was addressing a core hurt and idolatry of society, which is like, I can't get off of my digital technology. And now I think societally people are starting to recognize, you know, how it, how it's hurting themselves and others around them and therefore looking around for solutions. Right. Um, and so I think like, I think there's something to that where I think we're hitting, uh, certain moments here as a broad based culture where we are realizing some of the negative effects of this technology. And it's interesting, like already you've talked about lament,
0: Sabbath. I know in being a friend of yours that prayer is central yeah. to who you are as a person. Yeah. Like you you like I, I knew that if I started the podcast without praying with you, <laughs> that like you would you would be like, hey, why don't we pray? Just like because you would make sure. And I really appreciate about that, yeah. about you. And you genuinely care about people follow up with them you're the guy who like has people in his phone that you text and you try to care about their soul not just their work for you um and i've appreciated that working for you and i think about like these ancient models that jesus practiced what would jesus take (laughs) but like lament right like what if what if we solved problems by lamenting them to god Mm. first what if what if we addressed this world first by addressing god Mm. You know, what if instead of, you know, focusing on the next thing we can do and get done, we mm. realize that some of the best things you could do biblically, according to the Ten Commandments, mm. one of the top ten things you could do is not do something for a day.
1: That's good. It's in the top ten. That's interesting. Why are you putting it to? So
0: you think about, you know, just what these ancient ways of living, mm. and I call them ancient, but obviously they're they're. Proven, tested, written for our good across time. Um, You know how how what are other what are other tips? What are other strategies that you're doing? I like how we're going in this direction on the pod. I wasn't necessarily thinking about it, but like, I think, uh, I think there's just a lot there. And how do we live differently? How do we approach tech while seeing its good, building it, while also like restricting its exploitative nature.
1: Yeah, and yeah, and this is the value of habits and boundaries. You know, like, you know, James K. Smith writes this great book, You Are What You Love, years ago, right? And the whole concept of that book is like, the things you do shape what you love, right? And I think so much of Christianity and, and, and our preaching and our teaching, we say, Oh, well, as long if you just change the heart, everything else will work. Right. But we don't actually address the fact that you can work to actually change some of the heart. And now, there's a danger and that you can hyper move into legalism and then that's all you focus on. So you have to still speak both. But like just look at our life and we know if we can include good boundaries, and include good habits. It's like um so my son's birthday, seventh birthday was this week, and my wife made a cake, right? And so the first night we cut up the cake and we all eat a big slice and we're sitting there and the cake's on the middle of the table. And we're like looking at each other and I'm like, can I have a second one? Like this was so good. Yeah. And Judah's like, I want a second one. But then my wife's like, well, let's save the cake for another day. Mm. And so she picks it up, takes it down to the basement, puts it in a fridge. And suddenly I'm like, I'm okay. I don't need a cake anymore. Mm. I'm like, because it's gone. Right. It's just not there. I don't actually see the cake anymore. And so I'm not being reminded constantly of, I want this delicious cake because we've actually done a physical thing to remove it from Can the table. Can you get a
0: cake after this? Just yeah. like on the topic. No? Amazing. <laughs> um,
1: and so it's the same when you look at like habits we form and boundaries we put in place. And so like boundaries, like there's so many good healthy ones. Uh, Andy Crouch's book, TechWise Family lays out the way he's, his life has been, his family has been trying to do this. Um, and just a variety of habits that I've learned or tried, um, would be things like don't let technology in bedrooms. Mm. It's like, do not let a phone, a screen, computers into your bedroom. Like for me being married, we've been married 13 years now, my wife and I, and we go, I mean, no computers, like no phones, like don't let that in. Yeah. Because this is a, a space of intimacy. This is a space where we get our time just to chat and be together. And so that's healthy. It also, then when you wake up, the first thing you're not doing is checking right. the cell phone. Right. Which 75% of young adults within five minutes of waking up will check cell phone. <laughs> which is like, conceptually, even as a married man, I'm like, the first thing I'm thinking about waking up, if that's my habit is what random person just like tweeted me overnight versus like kissing my wife good morning. That's a huge difference in how you're starting your day.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah, I felt the urge, you know, especially if I'm like the day before, if I've tweeted a bunch or posted a blog or a podcast, it's like, ooh, I wanna wanna get that recognition, see if anybody's responded. Um, I don't post a lot of pictures online. I, you know, that's my conscience that I just don't want to do that with my kids. And yeah. I, I think it would be a cool present when my daughter turns 14 or whatever. That's like, Hey, you know how you know about the internet now and you can search. There's no pictures of you on the it's internet. Beautiful. Like that's a present that we want to give to you. So totally. when you turn 14, that you have something special, yeah, cool. that your online identity is yours. You get yeah. to decide that for yourself, yeah. but, um, But yeah, just like this need for recognition, this need to be valued. And yeah, you get those hits with that notification. You get that hit. Um, And so yeah, the practices sometimes go ahead of the heart. I remember first hearing that and being like, wait, 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 James K. Smith. Like, is this a biblical thing? But you look at the Sermon on the Mount, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Yeah. You know, wait, wait, wait. No, it's where your heart will be there. Your treasure will be. Jesus, you, you said that <laughs> wrong. It's like, no, no, no. Jesus doesn't misstate yeah, yeah. things, especially in scripture, guys. Yeah. Um, and then you also, like, just the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, you have a lot of things that seem like legalism. Yeah. Hey, what are you doing praying in public? Close the door. Pray privately in your room mm. so you don't get distracted and caught up in how other people are hearing your prayers. It's a practice in order to check where your heart is by yeah. first closing the door and doing it privately in your room yeah. so that you will develop a real relationship with God, not
1: right. just to show for others. And I think it's, it, it uh, gives an opportunity. Obviously you're working on this. There's an element of individual shaping towards Christ likeness, but it's also a very powerful testimony, like to live countercultural. Hmm. Like we're talking as a team right now around like what's our rhythm of sabbatical as an organization. And we're talking about like, what does that rest look like for us as a, like organizationally creating policy around a radical view towards rest. So like two weeks vacation a year is
0: one example policy. Right. So what are you trying to We're talking
1: about like a three month sabbatical once you've hit five years, Huh. you know? And, and sabbatical is a really beautiful concept actually. And I learned more more about this from Andy Crouch recently. Um, we were talking about sabbatical and um he said you know he's done three of these in his life and all of them produce like some of his best thinking that he's written a bunch of books on and he said if you do a sabbatical say three months here's what i recommend is like first month rest he's like just rest and sleep sleep like you've been working for seven years take a break rest i told him my my favorite one of my favorite quotes is actually a jewish proverb that says those who work with their hands should sabbath with their minds and those who work with their minds should sabbath with their hands hmm. and it's the idea that like i work with my mind all day strategy emails meetings and it's like to be able to go home and like build something with my kids i got while, some like... lego for you right, right now. Yay! there we go <laughs> actually we can start working on that as we talk um is like actually rest for my whole person, my whole body, you know? And so I love that concept. So he's like, month one rest, month two pilgrimage. So he's like, go somewhere to expect to experience God. So it'd be something that is probably abnormal for you, something you typically wouldn't do. Um, Maybe it is like family stuff that you can do. And then month three, now that you're rested, you've experienced God, now listen to God. Listen to what he's gonna say to you about the future about what's next about who you're supposed to be uh, where you're supposed to lean in strategy for your company whatever that is do retreats things that you're just like in a posture of listening and then when you return right um mark sarah is a pastor in australia Talks what retreat return retreat return we need to retreat mm-hmm. but with the vision to return god's designed this, knowing that like. First, that's like the first things, one, the first things human did was rest. God created Adam and Eve, and the next day was the Sabbath. Wow. <laughs> He's like, I want you to start with rest. Yeah. And then once you've rested, now you work, and you work to, for human flourishing, to advance my work in the world, advance my name in the world, and work towards the
0: Sabbath. So yeah we're gonna have to cut that off there um certainly some funky audio issues that we'll hope to have resolved in the future um he he went on to make some great points about the sabbath how god created adam and eve and then the very next day they rested like what if the first thing we did was rest what if that was a mindset we rest first or there's like this renewal then retrieve then or uh, James James said it better. So if you want to hear more from James, you'll have to subscribe to his podcast, The Faith Tech Podcast. Just look it up, Faith Tech in your podcast app. You'll find it. Um, check out faithtech.com Get connected. If you work in tech and you want to use your skills for the kingdom of God, you want to volunteer on the side, you want to make a startup or, or something like that. They got opportunities for you there. It is worth your time and worth your attention, even just subscribing to their mailing list to see what's going on internationally with Faith Tech. So I encourage you to do that. I thank you for listening. You can support us by letting people know that you enjoyed this episode and sharing this episode with others. I would very much appreciate, it, appreciate that. And you can subscribe if you so desire to hear more of us, Well, not me and James, but me and Joel normally talking about what would Jesus tech. And we encourage you to use tech to find rest and to glorify God.